You may be seated this morning. It's good to see all of you coming out on this wonderful Sunday morning. Middle schoolers, you are dismissed as they'll be heading up to the youth room. The rest of us, we're going to continue in our study of Luke's gospel. We'll be in Luke chapter 22. We'll start reading at verse 47. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand if you want to follow along with us in God's word this morning. And we'll slip you a Bible. There's some at the front platform for you who are close to the front and turn to the third book of the New Testament, chapter 22. We have gone as far as verse 47 of Luke's gospel. Keep in mind at this point in our study of Luke, as most of you know, that Jesus has left that upper room. The upper room is where he celebrated Passover with his disciples. And and in that upper room, he instituted the Lord's Supper. In that upper room, he would wash the feet of the disciples, teaching them on greatness in the kingdom of God, that you do this to one another just as I have done this for you. We also know that Jesus would say that one of you is going to betray me, of course, speaking of Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. And even though Judas would end up leaving the room that night, that the other disciples, they have no idea that it's Judas is going to be the one one that's going to betray Jesus. And we also know that Judas, as he is there with the religious leaders, after leaving that upper room, he's getting soldiers ready to come to the Garden of Gethsemane, where they are going to arrest Jesus. And we know that Judas knew Jesus was going to be there. You might recall, if you've been with us in our study, that in verse 39, the Garden of Gethsemane, right on the slopes of the Mount of Olives, it was called a garden, but it was more of an olive grove. And it was customarily that Jesus went there, as verse 39 tells us. Judas, who promised those religious leaders, hey, I will betray him to you. I'll betray him out of the way of the multitudes and crowds that the religious leaders were so afraid of. So he goes to the garden. He goes to this olive grove with his disciples. Late at night, he is praying to the Father. That's where we're going to find him. So all this is playing out here. And Jesus making his way from the upper room with the disciples, the other 11 that are with him, they would make their way across the city of Jerusalem, past the temple, through the Kidron Valley, and then up on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. And as he is in the garden, you know that in his agony and in his passion, he is sweating great drops of blood. He prays three times to his Father, that Father, if it is your will, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And we talked about the important implication of that prayer because it's a prayer of redemption. What Jesus is saying, if it is possible for anyone to be saved, that I don't have to go through the cup of suffering and death, let this cup pass from me. And because it is the only way for you and I to have salvation is through the cross, as Jesus died for our sins and his resurrection proven and validating that he conquered sin and death, that he's the son of God. That is our salvation. He is our salvation. It is found nowhere else. And he desires for you that are here that you're not saved to save you, 
to make you a new creation in Christ, to give you a new beginning, to forgive you of your sins. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he's going through this, as we were seeing, the cup of suffering and death. And so as he would find his disciples, he prayed that prayer three times. He finds his disciples sleeping three times. He would say to them, watch and pray, that you do not enter into temptation. The third time, he says, arise as they were sleeping, because my betrayer is at hand. Jesus probably watching that detachment of troops that would come with torches and weapons and swords that are coming across the Kidron Valley, coming into the garden. And we pick it up now in verse 47 of Luke chapter 22. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the 12, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? As Jesus is there in the garden, the disciples sleeping, and I imagine that as all of a sudden they wake up, they're drowsy, they're wondering what's going on, and they come into the garden, all four gospel writers tell us of Judas' betrayal and also of Peter's failure as we'll, we'll see that he's going to deny the Lord three times as we continue in the chapter. But as we put the Gospels together of Jesus' arrest and this betrayal, John tells us that Judas would lead, again, as I mentioned to you, a, a detachment of troops. You wonder what a detachment is. That's 600 troops. This isn't just a couple dozen guys coming. 600 troops, as we know that they would come with lanterns and torches and with weapons. Mark and Matthew tell us that they came with swords and clubs. Judas would then say that the one that I kiss, I will identify him with a kiss and you arrest him. We know that Isaiah chapter 53, speaking of the suffering Messiah, it speaks of Jesus that he had no splendor or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. I identify the one that you are to arrest with the kiss. Jesus uh, there in the garden amongst his disciples. You see, Judas didn't say, uh, you need to go and arrest the movie star looking guy or the one who has a shiny halo or a glowing countenance. I identify him, the one that you are to arrest with the kiss. And when Judas gave that kiss to Jesus on the cheek, in his act of betrayal, Jesus looks at him and says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? It reminds me so much of what Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 declares, that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And at this time that Jesus, according to John's narrative, that he would say to those soldiers, whom are you seeking? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I'm sure that they would answer quite roughly, whom are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. And it says that Jesus answered and said, I am he. And when he uttered that, it tells us that they all drew back and fell to the ground. Can you picture that scene? I am he. And all of a sudden, whoosh, they all fall to the ground. And they're picking themselves up and picking up their torches and their clubs and their, and their swords and probably wondering what happened. And I think that Jesus was putting them on notice that I'm letting you take me. That I'm going to go through the cup of suffering and death willingly and freely. I am allowing you to take me. Whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. And I'm sure the second time they answered maybe a little bit softer, kind of bracing themselves. I am he. Let these guys go. Let them go. 
And with that, then Luke picks it up in verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them, drew near Jesus and kissed him. And Jesus said, as we've read, are you betraying a son of man with a kiss? And then in verse 49, and when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touches, uh, touched his ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders who had come to him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? In verse 53, when I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. We know that the one who cut off the ear of the high priest servant was, of course, Peter. John's gospel tells us that. And John also tells us that the servant's name was Malchus. And Peter, who earlier in the evening, you might recall that he was saying in that upper room, that, Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. Even though all these other guys will do that, not me. I'm going to stand by you. I'm going to be with you. I'll die with you. I'll go to prison with you. And in his zeal, he was trying to show Jesus and the others that I'm still with you, and I'm going to fight for you, Lord. And he pulls out a little sword, and he starts swinging it, and he gets the ear, the right ear, Dr. Luke writes, of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. And what a mess that must have been. Is the ear plops to the ground, or it's just hanging there by thread of skin on the side of his head? And, and Jesus then puts the ear back in place, and he heals Malchus. And it's a good thing for Peter's sake, because Peter, who was boasting, I'll go to prison with you, would have been arrested at that time, and he would have been thrown in prison. And who knows what the consequences would have been for him cutting the ear off of the servant of the high priest. But they can't arrest him and charge it for cutting off his ear, because there's no evidence, is there? Jesus healed his ear. You know, he cut off my ear. What ear? The ear that's, you know, on the side of my head. Jesus healed him. And so at that point, as we know that that takes place, Jesus would say to Peter, permit even this, as we read that Luke records. Matthew tells us that Jesus said to Peter, don't you think that I can now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? All he had to do was speak. 72,000 angels, 12 legions, 6,000 in a legion, one for each disciple in Jesus himself. There's a story in the Old Testament of Hezekiah when he was the king of Judah. That the mighty Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem and Shennacherib, who is the king of Assyria, this mighty empire, they were cruel. They were so mean. And they're hurling threats at Hezekiah and the people of Judah. Who's this God that you believe in, that Hezekiah is telling you to pray to and trust in? He's not going to be able to help you against the mighty Assyrians, Sennacherib said. No other God of any of the other nations have been able to stop us. And so as he's speaking, there's Hezekiah and the leaders that would pray and fast. And then that night, one angel, one single angel wipes out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. I can call down 12 legions of angels. All he had to do was speak. 
And they could have come down and destroyed those soldiers, destroyed Jerusalem, could have destroyed the whole world if he wanted to. Jesus was perfectly within his rights as God to do that, but he did not do that. Why? Because of you. Because of his love for you. Sometimes people think, does God really really intervene in the lives of people and in mankind? Does he really want to intervene in my life? Does he want to work in my life? And whenever you doubt that, whenever that you think, you know, the Lord just kind of lets things go as they go and doesn't really, you know, work or, you know, doesn't really care about me, Will you go back to this time where Jesus took on the cup of suffering and death and he came to this world to intervene, to intercede for you and for me? And as he took on the cup of suffering and death, he did it because he loves you. And he could have destroyed the world and started all over again, but he didn't because he wants you in heaven with him. And as you and I consider that, remember this, that Jesus, as he took that cross and walked down the Via Della Rosa, the way of sorrows, the narrow streets of Jerusalem, and up to that place of execution, I am thoroughly convinced it was you that was on his heart and on his mind. He was thinking about you, and he did it for you. He came to this world because he loves you. And you see, they're going to bound him up. They're going to pin him to a cross with nails. But it wasn't the nails that kept him on that cross. It wasn't the ropes that kept him bound up. It was his love for you. And he loves you. And if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, he came that you might be forgiven and that you might have eternal life and right relationship with the Father. He came for you specifically and individually because he loves you. He came to intercede for sinful man that we might have a living hope, as Peter later on would write at the end of his life, that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here is Peter with that sword, and, and here he is swinging it. Peter, uh, shall I not drink of the cup that the Father has given me? Permit it to be so, because he came to save the world, not to destroy the world. And he came to save you as he went to that cross. And I just imagine that every time that we're going to see that Jesus, that he's going to go through a series of six trials. He'll go before Annas, the power behind the high priestly office. We're going to read here in a little bit. Then he goes before the Sanhedrin in this illegal uh, hearing that takes place in the middle of the night, the religious leaders, and they are going to beat him. They're going to beat him to a pulp and spit in his face and mock him. He is then going to go through another official trial early in the morning before the Sanhedrin, before he goes to the Romans through a series of three trials where he's going to be beaten by the Romans and his beard's going to be pulled out, is what Isaiah says. He's going to be marred more than any other man, that he's unrecognizable, and he's going to be like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. He is going to have that cat of nine tails, that Roman whip that's going to be on his back, taking chucks a skin off his back and off his body. And I can imagine those angels, that every time that a blow came to him or that whip struck his back, that they flinched, ready to grab their, ready for the word. But Jesus would go through the suffering because he loves you. And he would say, how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that this must happen so that we can be forgiven and saved? Never doubt the love of the Lord for you and what he has done for you. 
And now as we've been looking at Peter, as he cuts off the ear of, of Malchus here, we see the steps that we're going to see that is going to lead to his denying the Lord. We've already talked about a couple of those steps. Number one, that he was prideful, if you have those in your notes. He was overconfident. He's saying, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll stand by you. Uh, these other chickens will run away. They're yellow, but not me. I'll be there. You can count on me. So pride, and of course, pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before fall. Listen, if we're prideful in any area of our lives, if we say, Lord, I'm confident in this area, I got it, then what happens is you will find that you'll end up failing in that area. It's in our greatest strengths oftentimes where we're not giving it to the Lord and we're not surrendering all that we end up trying to do it in our own energy in just a matter of time before you fail. Second of all, instead of watching and praying, he was sleeping. And as we concluded last week, if you were with us, that if you have a spiritual life that we, you slumber and you're snoozing and you're lazy spiritually, know this. That as Peter and the disciples are doing this, the enemy was plotting and planning, and they were coming. They were coming to get Jesus. And if we are ones that we are sleepy spiritually and not awake, as the New Testament tells us, then know this, that the enemy is really plotting and planning how he's going to get a foothold into your life. It's just a matter of time, and he's going to be there to come against you, to get a foothold into your life, into your marriage, into you know, your family into your ministry. And that's why we are told by Jesus, even this week when he told his disciples, that make sure that you take heed to yourselves spiritually and watch and pray. Thirdly, you can write down in your notes, we see here, here's Peter, he's resisting when he should have been surrendering. He thinks he's doing Jesus a favor here, right? Can you picture Peter as he pulls out that sword and he starts going towards Malchus? What do you think the other guys are thinking? They're thinking, oh, no, this is not good. There goes Peter, impulsive Peter, and Peter swings it and he gets the ear. But Peter, permit this, put the sword away. I'll take on the cup of suffering. It must happen. And I know for me, and perhaps maybe for you, there have been times in my life and maybe in your life where we end up resisting his will rather than being surrendered to his will. And then we'll fight because we're doing things out of the flesh. We haven't been watching. We haven't been praying. We, we, we have the attack that comes. And pretty soon, we're relying on our own strength. And in the process, listen, in the process, you can start chopping ears off. You think, what do you mean by that, Pastor? I know for me, when I'm just kind of frustrated and mad and I'm going to fight this, I can say hurtful things to others. I can start tearing people down. I start cutting on them. Rather than being surrendered to God's will and how we are to react and what we're to do and what we're to say. Because he's my defender. He's my protector. And after dealing with Peter, Jesus turns back to the chief priests and the captains and the elders and he says, you come against me like I'm a criminal, like a robber. When I was with you daily in the temple, you didn't try to seize me. And this is your hour, though. I know it. And it's a dark hour indeed. It is Mark's gospel that tells us at this point the disciples, they all took off. They all fled. Uh, they forsook him, just as Jesus said would happen. 
And then in verse 54, we read, And having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. So you can write down number four, what led to Peter's denying the Lord is in verse 54, that it tells us, I have it underlined in my Bible, that Peter followed at a distance. I like what the King James says. The King James says that he followed from afar. And then number five, you can write that as we read that he's there in the courtyard of Caiaphas, and he's there, and he sat among them at that fire. You can write down, he's at the enemy's fire. You see, putting the Gospels again together, we know from John's narrative that first John tells us that Jesus was taken to Anna's house, the power behind the high priestly office. And then Jesus would be brought back to Caiaphas, to his house where the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, are meeting. It's an illegal trial that's happening in the middle of the night. We'll talk more specifically about it next time. But as Jesus is there, he's going to be condemned to death by the religious leaders. He's going to be beaten. While that is taking place inside of Caiaphas' house, here's Peter out in the courtyard. He's following from a distance. He's following from afar. He's still following, but it's from a distance, not close by. And then he finds himself at the enemy's fire. You know what's so fascinating that if you ever go to Israel with us, if we make another trip, when we go to Jerusalem, one of the stops that we make, and not a whole lot of groups go there, is actually Caipas Palace. And it's the, the original uh, place where Caipas House was, and, and they've excavated it. They've excavated the actual courtyard where, you know, Peter denies the Lord. And the actual roadway that goes up to that courtyard is that road that Jesus would walk on with all those soldiers and Peter would follow behind. And underneath where Caiaphas' house was, they found this small chamber. It's a small room about the size of my office. And they wondered, what is this? And as they began to research it, they thought maybe it was a wine cellar. They said, no, there's no evidence of it being a wine cellar. Maybe it was a cistern to store water. Nope, there's no evidence that water was ever stored here. But they realized up at top there were these holes and there were these markings, these scrape markings. And what they realized is that's where they held the prisoners in that little chamber. And you can go there and actually stand there in that little chambers and where they would drop the prisoners in, chained and roped. And that's where Jesus would have been put in as this nightly trial finishes up, he's beaten and then waiting for the official trial that happens early in the morning. He's there in that dark place for a couple hours. It's a fascinating place to go to. It just makes everything so real. And what was taking place as Jesus was inside, Peter following from a distance, he comes into the courtyard, he sits down at the fire, and you see these things are written not so that we can look at Peter's mistakes and pick on him, but they are written for you and for me. Because this process that we see Peter going through can happen to us so easily if we're not careful. We become overconfident like Peter was. 
which leads to us being slumber and sleepy spiritually. I'm not praying about it. I'm not watching. And we're not doing what we should be doing. And the enemy, he finds a way to attack us. He comes against us. And we resist and we fight out of the flesh. And then we find ourselves, you know, following the Lord from a distance. We're not staying close to him. And all of a sudden, our boldness and our courage for the Lord begins to melt away. And fear begins to grip our hearts. And then there's a chill. There was a chill this night. It's springtime. It's chilling in Jerusalem. And Peter, he's chilled in his heart. And he plops himself there at the fire. Notice verse 55. Peter sat among them. He's at a place where there are those who are very hostile to Jesus. He's at a place where they are going to beat Jesus. And all of these things taking place this night are factors to Peter denying the Lord and leading to his failure. So can I ask us all a question in honesty of our hearts? Was there a time where you were following the Lord closely, but now you're following from afar? You're still following, but you're following from a distance, not really staying close. You're getting caught up in some worldly stuff. You've stopped kind of praying, reading your Bible, being in Bible study and fellowship with believers. That's taking a back seat. You're no longer wanting to do that as a priority in your life. And over time, you become chilled in your heart towards the Lord. And so you find yourself eventually sitting at the enemy's fire. Maybe going back to the old ways the old places, the old hangouts. Matter of fact, as you read this account of this event, it tells us that Peter stood with them. Luke and Matthew both said that he sat among them. So which is it? Is he standing there at the fire? Is he sitting among the fire? I think it's both. He's standing there. He comes in. He's standing there. And he's feeling chilled and cold. And he's afraid. So he then gets closer. And he sits down. And he's anxious. And he's nervous, isn't he? And he's trying to hide himself. And he's probably restless. And he's up and down. And they're in the midst of the enemies of Jesus. And listen, any time any of us try to warm ourselves at the enemy's fire, you know what's going to happen? You are going to get burnt. You're going to get burnt. And you're headed for failure and defeat. And you will find that your courage after the Lord and for the Lord will disappear and you'll be restless and anxious and your defenses will be down. So Peter's sitting among them in verse 56 and a certain servant girl seeing him as he sat by the fire looked intently at him. This man was also with him but he denied him saying, woman, I do not know him. So here's this servant girl. She's looking at him and Peter probably knows. You know when somebody's staring at you and Peter's kind of like trying to turn away and she says, I know you're one of them. Mark records that she said, you are with Jesus of Nazareth. And he's getting fearful and he's scared. And, and, and all of a sudden, as she doesn't just say it to him. She starts blabbing it to everybody. He's one of them. He was with Jesus of Nazareth. And, and Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about, what you're saying. And he then went out on the porch, is what another gospel writer tells us, and the rooster crowed. Now we know that 
The rooster's going to crow a second time, and that's when Peter has denied the Lord three times. But we continue in this scenario in verse 58 as we read that, and after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And then about, uh, after about an hour had passed, another confidently uh, affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with them, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 60, we were told in the other Gospels that at this point, Peter is cursing and he's swearing. He's saying, blankety blank, get out of my face. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know him. And every time that Peter is doing that, you know it's eating him up inside. It's really eating at his soul and in his heart. I don't know him. He told me that I would be a fisher of men, but I don't know him. I got out of the boat and I walked on the water with him, but I don't know him. I heard the voice of the Father on that mountain say, this is my beloved son, hear him. But I don't know him. He cleansed the lepers. He freed the demoniacs. He gave sight to the blind. I declared up at Caesarea Philippi that you're the Christ, the son of the living God, but I don't know him. I watched him feed a multitude with only a few fish and loaves, but I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. You and I are all going to be with people in the days ahead, especially with the holidays coming up. You're going to be around family and coworkers and old friends and neighbors, all kinds of people. And you're with them. One of them says, you're one of them Christians, aren't you? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. And you become afraid. Your fences are down. You don't want to answer because we haven't been praying. You haven't been watching. You haven't been taking heed to yourself spiritually. You're one of them. You go to church. You're one that believes in the Bible and all this. Well, I just go to church because the kids want to go. Well, I don't know if I agree with everything what they say over there. Or I don't take this religious stuff too serious. And we begin to hem and ha, and soon we're denying that we know him. And, and what are you talking about? And he's eating you up. Because you know he's real. And he saved me. And you know deep down inside he has touched you. And as you're denying, it's eating you up, and, and it's beginning to gnaw at you. And Peter, at this moment, think of the incredible testimony that he had. He could have said to that servant girl, let me tell you something. There was a ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum that had a daughter not much younger than you. And I went into her house with Jesus, and the girl was dead. 
And Jesus whispered in her ear, Telai thy kumai. Arise, little girl. And she arose from the dead. Yeah, I know him. You say I have the speech of a Galilean? Yeah, I'm from that area. I fished on that sea all my life. And let me tell you about the time that we were in a boat. And Jesus was in that boat. And a storm came up like never before. We thought that we were going to sink. And he rebuked the winds and the waves. And they were immediately calm. Yeah, I know him. Let me tell you what happened a few days ago, not far from here. There was a man named Lazarus that was in a tomb for four days, and Jesus cried out, Come forth, Lazarus. And he came forth, he rose from the grave, and Jesus claimed to be the resurrection and the life. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about him, the one that I do know. And we have that testimony to give to others. How he's made us alive. And how he's worked in our lives and made us a new person and given us a new heart. But Peter's courage and boldness is gone and fear has gripped him. Meanwhile, Jesus is there in the council, as I mentioned, being beaten. And they spit in his face and mocked him. And as Peter is speaking and cursing and swearing. And by the way, as you read Matthew's account, they said, you're a Galilean. Your speech betrays you. Mark says that your speech shows that you're a Galilean. Apparently, the Galileans had a distinct dialect up north. And you can tell where people are from today, can't you, by their accent. You can tell if they're from the south. They have a southern draw or from the Midwest or from the east, from New York or Boston. You, you kind of can tell. Because your speech will tell and show people where you're at spiritually. Your speech betrays you to what's coming out of your mouth. Remember that Jesus said that out of your mouth comes the abundance of the heart. And his words are showing where Peter is at at this time. And then as Peter is saying, blankety blank, I don't know him. Get away from me. Get out of my face. You know, what is this? You know, I... I, don't know the man, this Jesus of Nazareth, uh, swearing and cursing. All of a sudden, there's this rooster. He's stretching out his neck. He has one line in this whole thing. He cries out, cock-a-doodle-doo. And the Lord turned in verse 61 and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Luke tells us here, as he comes out, obviously the doors of Caiaphas' house swings open, and they're leading Jesus out. The blindfold has been taken. And Jesus, black and blue, and spit running down his face, and his cheeks swollen at this time. And he looks at Peter. Peter is going, I don't know him, and swearing and cursing. And he looks at his Lord, and he says that he went out weeping bitterly. He's convulsing. He's not just shedding a few tears. He thought that he had severed his relationship with Jesus forever. He is weeping with a deep weeping and convulsing that comes from deep in your soul. And Peter thinks that that's it. I'll never be used again. I'll never be forgiven. And he's going to go back to Galilee and go back to fishing. He thinks he's done. 
When Jesus looked at him, I don't think it was a look of anger. I think it was a look of love. And Peter melted and he lost it. For you that might be here today, that you can relate to Peter and for the Peters that are here, the Lord comes to you in your lowest point in your life and he looks at you with love. And he's calling you to himself. And he desires to bring forgiveness to you. He desires for you to come back to him. He desires for you to quit following from afar and quit trying to do things in your own strength and resisting his will. And I'm going to do it my way. He desires for you to stay away from the enemy's fire and for you to stay close to him. He's calling you to do that. He loves you. And there is forgiveness. And there's a message that that rooster gives, even though he just goes and he has one line of cock-a-doodle-doo. When a rooster would crow, it meant the dawning of a new day. And today is a new day. And for you who are looking for forgiveness, it is there. You call out to the Lord. You come to him. You repent from what you're doing and going after the enemy's fire or being there and falling from a distance and trying to do things in your own energy. And even as we have sang this morning, you say, Lord, I want to surrender all. I know I can't do it in my own energy. I need you in a filling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help me. And in the honesty of your heart, he's going to honor that. And he's going to be with you. And he's not done with you. You know, there's some church references from, I believe it's um, Eusebius and Origen, that they make reference that Peter, in his early ministry in Jerusalem, when he was preaching that he would be mocked, you know how they mocked him? Sound of a rooster. This story got around to where he was preaching and there'd be people mocking him, making the sound of a rooster. Listen, there's going to be all kinds of crowing that's in your ear as you come back to the Lord. As you say to those around you, listen, I do know him. Let me tell you about him. He loves you and he died for you. And he came for you to forgive you. There's going to be all kinds of crowing. And they're going to say, well, you know, how come all of a sudden and why are you being religious and all this? Aren't you going to party with us? Aren't you going to go out with us? No, I'm not going to do that. No more. I'm going to live for him. And they'll be crowing in your ear, but the Lord wants to use you and desires to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask and think. And you let people know who he is and what he has done for you. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for a story that we... We know and we've read perhaps, but Lord, we want it to impact our lives in a very real way. And Father, I do pray, first of all, of anybody that is here, that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. He came that you might be forgiven, to forgive you of your sins. He loves you. That's why he came to die for you. And as you call upon him, realizing that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness, that he's going to hear your cry. In sincerity of your heart, believing that he's the son of God who died for you and rose from the grave. He did the work. You come in faith and surrender. 
And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, recognizing that you're a sinner in need of Jesus. He is your salvation. There is none other. Will you call upon him if you've never done that? Listen, just a few minutes. This is the most important decision that you will ever make. He is your salvation. Will you give your life to him and call upon him? You might be even here and you think, everything's cool with me, man. Everything's good in life. If you don't have Jesus, it's not. Because this world is going to leave you empty and in bondage and eventually going to bring death to you. This world is not your hope. Only Jesus is. Will you give your life to him? Will you pray this prayer? Jesus, I come to you and I admit that I am a sinner. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me because of your love for me in your life, speaking to my heart, you rose from the grave. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my Lord and Savior. And I want to know you, walk with you. Thank you for this new beginning. Lord, fill me with your love. And Lord, help me to please you with my life. In Jesus' name. And if any of you prayed that prayer this morning, will you just do me a favor to those I can see? I know there's many that I can't see through live stream and out in the coffee shop and maybe later on the radio. But you who are here right now, will you just put your hand up, put it back down? God bless you and God bless you. God bless you. God bless you guys. Anybody else? Lord, as I've seen hands go up, thank you for those who are saying... I am going to say yes to you, Jesus. And I know there may be some I don't see out in a coffee shop or a live stream or later somebody listening to a podcast. And I thank you for those making decisions for Christ. And Lord, that they would walk out here rejoicing in you, that they are new creation in Christ. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Help them to leave this place rejoicing. Fill them with your spirit. And that they would have a desire to know you. And while we just got a minute left, and and then we'll be done, that if you're here and you're saying, I can relate to Peter. I've been following from a distance. I've found myself at the enemy's fire. My courage is gone, my boldness. I've been doing everything out of my own strength and energy. I'm sleeping spiritually. If that's you, will you just go to the Lord? And you can pray something like this. Lord, I come and I confess these things and I ask that you would forgive me. And I believe from your word, you're not done with me. So Lord, now I turn direction and I come to follow you closely, to just yield to your will, to believe in your word not be afraid and Lord I thank you for your mercy and grace in my life and I want to be used of you and I want to declare you to others in Jesus name and I thank you that we can come Lord and just be a recipient of your grace and forgiveness and goodness Lord I pray you bless everyone here now as we go our way 
And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.